Hey everybody, welcome back to Sacred City Vision Drip. We are going to keep pressing on with the subject of Christian education or education and, and specifically Christian education. And what I'd like to do today is take a look at different ideas that are, you know, sort of in orbit of the Christian education framework and contrast a couple of things uh, between more of a, a traditional modern Christian education and a classical Christian education. Um, I'll give this disclaimer right up at the front. Uh, I don't have anything to hide. I'm, I'm currently on the school board at my kid's uh, school. It's a classical Christian school in Bettendorf called Morning Star Academy. It's been around for, uh, actually, this is our 30th year of being a school. And um, uh, there are... Uh, our school is by no means perfect. Um, God is is certainly faithful and gracious to us, and and we've been able to build uh, and advance and grow. And in fact, this year we have uh, more students enrolled at Morningstar than we've ever had, and that's in large part to um, Iowa's uh, legislation that they passed last year that is very friendly towards school choice. And so, what happens if you're an Iowa resident and attending an Iowa uh, private school? The the Iowa government gives you like like somewhere around $7,500 a year per student um, to follow them to whatever school they go to. And that, that covers tuition, that covers fees, um, that covers school expenses. And so, um, you know, I, I, I say that in the fear of people catching wind of that and wanting to jump to the other side of the Mississippi. And man, I've, I don't blame you. I've thought about that before. Um, but uh, it's still, at least at Morningstar, they have some pretty, um, pretty great uh, scholarship opportunities, financial aid opportunities available to Illinois families that are wanting to pursue that. And and so, um, and, and it really can become quite affordable. I mean, there's still sacrifice involved, don't get me wrong, but um, it, it can be quite affordable. And so one of the things that I I have increasingly, beca- actually, I'll tell you this. So my story with classical Christian education uh, started about 10 or so years ago. Um, my wife and I had just gotten married. She went to University of Northern Iowa to study education and become a teacher. And so when we got married, she moved down to the Quad Cities and did her student teaching um, here in the Quad Cities and then was done with that uh, at, at the mid-year point. So around December, she wrapped up um, and officially completed her requirements for her degree. And at the time, we, we had not yet planted Sacred City Moline. And um, we had... Uh, met uh, a, a man by the name Casey, Dr. Casey Shutt, who spent uh, a few years as an elder over at Sacred City Davenport, or Sacred City, Iowa now, since they've relocated to a, a building in Bettendorf. Um, and he introduced us to classical Christian education. He was the headmaster at Morningstar Academy. And he was in need of teachers at the midway point. And so um, Becca, uh, we decided that she was going to take the job uh, in a, an environment that was um, a new new experience, new philosophy of, of education, new uh, pedagog- pedagogical approach to education. Um, but it was by far a, a very positive experience for us both. And actually, I, I did a, a bit of a stint as a long-term substitute teacher there for PE. So, you know, I made the kids do a bunch of like CrossFit workouts. We played dodgeball. It was pretty good fun. But um, anyway, we we were first introduced to classical education there. And, and from uh, the perspective of my wife, I remember telling me that um, the classical Christian education model was a night and day difference than what she studied at University of Northern Iowa. And I think um, I, I, we both went to University of Northern Iowa, and one of the things that 
UNI is known for is being a uh, a school that is is cranks out a lot of educators. It's it's probably one of their strongest programs that they have. A lot of people come to UNI uh, to become teachers. And Becca went through all of her classes and stuff, and she said, "Listen, this this is a, a very different approach to education." She she said to me at one point, "It was literally backwards from everything she ever learned about education." Now, of course, UNI is is not a Christian school, so. Um, that was a big difference of, of stepping out a of a secular educational system and then stepping into a Christian educational system. There was a lot of difference there, but also in the uh, pedagogical approach to education. And, and one of the things that... Um, as we examine the options of Christian education, uh, I just want to talk about some of those differences and and kind of highlight the difference between sort of a, a modern Christian education or a traditional Christian education experience or school and a classical Christian education. Um, and and I think it starts out by first talking about the trivium. And I and I've I've talked about this um, in, in one of the previous episodes. But Dorothy Sayers wrote a article or an essay um, that she delivered at one point called "The Lost." Tools of Learning, and uh, and that's that's a short read. I, I would recommend you reading it. It's it's a pretty fascinating thing. But she was um, at that time she was casting out this this kind of a vision for reclaiming um, the way that education used to be done, and and going back to um, the Greek philosophers and some of the great minds that have helped develop and build uh, Western society, and going back to the way that they would educate, um, and focusing on the subjects that they focused on, and so. So, um, you know, obviously, uh, you're probably familiar with the the typical elementary school, middle school, high school breakdown, um, and, and that's usually based on grades and ages and stuff. And and there's something that sort of reflects that mentality in the classical Christian education, where you, they don't necessarily call it an elementary school, but a lot of times they call it upper and lower school. Um, they use a little bit different language to sort of differentiate, um, but but they also abide by the trivium. Um, the trivium is broken down into three stages. Um, you have the grammar school, which is, uh, from an age perspective, is, is a, the equivalent of elementary school. You have the logic uh, stage of learning, which is, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, uh, even into eighth grade, you, you start to have um, the development of logic. And then the rhetoric school is for those upper grades of, of ninth to twelfth grade. Um, and what the approach is in in the classical Christian setting, uh, in, in tackling this, thinking about grammar, logic, rhetoric, you're thinking about these building blocks of education. Um, and so one of the things that, that I think is really appealing about classical Christian education is the fact that um, when, when considering God's design for human development, for, for a child's development, um, these things are, are brought into account um, and utilized. They're, they're, actually, these things are maximized in a classical Christian setting. So, for example, um, one of the things that uh, in a traditional um, or a, a, a modern Christian school setting, um, they would follow a lot of, of what goes on in the sort of the public school and, and sort of what they're doing and, and the pedagogy of, of learning. And so, um, so 
they'll try to lump things together. So they'll teach the facts, they'll teach why, and then tr- try to give an offense for a defense for um, why that happens. And, and um, I, I think all of those things are important stages in the development of a child and the education of a child. Um, and where the the modern education system does tries to does, do that all at once, the uh, classical approach to education does these sort of in sections. So the grammar school, um, it, or uh, she calls it the the pole parrot stage, where kids are very, their brains absorb so much information, just vast amounts of information. This is why your kids can like recall what you said to them like um, three weeks before. You know, your mom, you said you got I could have a candy bar if I did this, and then they did that three weeks later, and finally they're they're making their claim for the candy bar. Right, um, so that kind of stuff sticks with them. They have this ability to memorize a lot, and same goes for like um, songs and and lyrics, um, poetry, facts in general. Um, they just have this ability. They're like sponges where they absorb a lot of, of information. And so the grammar stage leans into that, and and heavily uh, just presses a bunch of facts into the brains of the kids. So there's a lot of focus on memorization, whether that's in catechism, whether that's math facts, whether that is history facts. Um, in fact, one of the things that um, I, um, uh, classical education does is uses song to help kids memorize. And so catechism is set to song. Um, math facts has a song. Um, U.S. presence has a song. All of these things are connected to song because that's a mechanism that helps kids memorize very well. So the grammar stage is primarily focused on filling kids with information. Now, once they've uh, accumulated a lot of information, then you got to figure out what, what are you going to do with that? And what does it, what's it mean? What's the significance? of it. And so then kids uh, graduate into the logic phase of education, that stage where they start asking the why question. Why is this why it is? Why is that a fact? And and how do we know that for sure? And you kind of start um, presenting arguments for, um, for things and giving background information. And, um, and, and this is actually kind of a unique thing that happens with um, the development of, of the history um, curriculum is is uh, you would spend a lot of time memorizing dates and names and things like that and what happened. And then you would go back and then you would see, okay, well, how did history affect art? How did history affect literature? How did history affect music? Um, how did a history affect um, politics and civil government and things like that nature? And you start to see the implications and how, how those facts actually are set within a historical context. Um, and those those things start to make sense as they're viewed together. So it goes from this individualistic of uh, idea of here are the facts. Now here's the significance of the facts in the logic stage, and then in the rhetoric stage, you move into the ability uh, developing communication skills, specifically uh, the ability to communicate in a winsome and persuasive way. And so this is a stage where kids are exposed to a lot of competing ideas, um, and and so. Even in this idea, uh, the idea of the rhetoric stage, um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Christian school is just trying to keep kids from seeing what's really out there in the world, and and they're they're sheltered and protected and and kept away from those things, and then they don't know what's going on until they get on the big bad world, and then here they're caught off guard. Well, the rhetoric stage actually does a lot to interact with other worldviews, other other um, ideologies that have circulated throughout history, and with a, a framework allows them to interact with them, um, and then to offer critiques, and then to be able to to reason, to use logic, um, and then to 
communicate in a persuasive manner um, so that they can can basically argue well. And that, I think that, that that is a that is something that um, you know I know everybody like well arguing is a bad thing and and I don't think it is. I think the ability now arguing in sort of a, a hostile way is is probably not a good thing. It's probably not good for your soul. I just just imagine people who are sitting behind uh, their screens all day and, and just, you know, getting into these internet brawls. That's not necessarily what this is. It's not equipping you for that. It's equipping you for real life stuff. So how do you how do you go to a boardroom and present the best ideas? And and really I do think um, classical education and, and I think overall education in general and how we should view things as Christians is that we should want the best ideas to win. And I think the best ideas are the ideas that are, are ideas that, that we think after God. So how God tells us what God tells us, the principles that he gives us. And then we learn to, um, take those principles and apply them within various contexts, whether in, in government contexts or social settings or, or whatever it might be. Um, and to be able to argue for things in a way that's persuasive, respectful, um, that that shows a commitment to the best ideas, and to be able to um, you know to win people over, and I think that this is this is a something that's needed in churches. It's needed in in um, community settings. I mean, you talk about what's going on in city hall and what neighborhoods are deciding to do with with the resources that they have and how to serve um, people that that they're responsible for. This is where a lot of these skills come in quite handy in the development of, of a flourishing society. So the, the trivium is something that the classical education model of education pays attention to and uses these natural development. And, and you can see this because your 14, 15-year-old kid is going to naturally start to get combative and argumentative toward you, um, even as a parent, as you're laying down ground rules and you know they're going to start asking the why question. Okay, why is this? You, you told me since I was six, since I was five, that this is the rule. Then I'm going to move into phase of asking, okay, now why is this the rule, the logic stage? And then the rhetoric, where you start to have this, this sort of combative nature, and and I think this is where um, parenting you, you need to be able to to defend, and and this is where these rhetoric and logic skills come in handy as a parent um, to also be operating by these. Because what I've seen a lot, um, and this is the case uh, with a number of families at our, our kids' school, is that um, most parents have not been classically educated. They have not experienced education uh, in this manner, where you go through the grammar, logic, and rhetoric stage, and what happens is once their kids get to be um, high schoolers, they, they find themselves getting stumped by their kids' ability to argue and to, to um, be persuasive uh, with their arguments. And so that I think that's one of the big things that when you examine and contrast um, the, the current um, sort of um, modern uh, Christian education paradigm and the classical Christian paradigm. Um, there's a big difference there. Now, another another big thing. Now, I'll say this. I'll let me back up and say here, here's where they share common ground, is that usually um, these uh, Christian schools or and, and I would say most schools are like this in the sense that that they're part of the liberal arts. Um, and the liberal arts are an idea. So way, way back, if you go back in history, um, what you were born into. So if your dad was a cobbler, if he was a shoemaker, um, that was going to be that, well, that was your lot in life. You were born into a family that of shoemakers and your duty was to then carry on that trade or whatever it is, whether it be a shoemaker or a baker or a, um, uh, uh, a woodmaker, uh, a woodmaker, a woodworker, or a, an ironsmith, or whatever it might be. 
um, you would just, that, that was your, that was your lot in life. Um, you were born into your trade and then you needed to follow through with that. Well, the problem with that, when you look at how societies were composed, um, there was no ability to move up. So if you were born into society, into a, a family that, um, you know, was sort of at the low end of the, the social hierarchy, the totem pole, then that's just where you were, that you were stuck there. You were stuck in, in servitude. Um, you were, uh, you were stuck in a spot where you couldn't move up. But you could move down, but you couldn't move up. And the liberal arts came along, um, part of of Greek philosophy and the the Western concept of learning to say, hey, there is a way to be liberated from this sort of appointment in life, this natural vocational appointment. And through education, and this is where we get the idea that knowledge is power, um, you're able to sort of, depending on, on your educational pursuits, you're able to elevate yourself out of that initial lot in life and, and sort of rise to the ranks. So then people are able, based on on their ability, their their capacity to work and their desire to work at education and being educated, to get out of the... Um, out of their lot and kind of move upward in life and make a better life for themselves and their family. And so the liberal arts are composed of um, the trivium. Um, and so going back to the grammar, logic, and rhetoric, um, those are actually not just stages, but but um, uh, subjects of, of education. So grammar, um, the ability to, to look at language and understand it and to read and to write. Um, logic would be the ability to... Um, make sense of things and uh, you get into some sort of like scientific reasoning and things like that um, that are sort of downstream of the logic and rhetoric, the ability to argue persuasively and to have communication skills, which is very important. Um, and then you can get into like geometry, math, music, and then there's the quadrivium, which includes uh, astronomy. And I would say that that Christian education as another subject, that of theology, which uh, is referred to as the crown jewel of all the subjects, because uh, theology is the study of God. And so you're going to have Christian schools that, in addition to having the the typical liberal arts education and some of that curriculum, um, theology is going to be a centerpiece of that. So you have the big umbrella of, of these schools um, sort of being in the vein of liberal arts. Um, and, and so even even a lot of our state schools operate by this. There's, there's some of that still. Um, you know, if you go to, so when I went to UNI, I had to, I had to take humanities classes. I had to, I had to be kind of versed in a bunch of different subjects. I couldn't just specialize in one thing like you would maybe at like a trade school, or if you were going to go become a lawyer and and do like pre-law and then go get a law degree. Um, and so this, this is sort of meant to kind of, uh, provide a well-rounded education. And then the further you got in your education, the more uh, specific you would get with your studies, um, whether that would be, you know, choosing a trade or going down the route of like engineering of some sort. Um, and so that, that is a, uh, a feature of, of the Western education that's still very much at large uh, is at play. And then, but classical education sort of leans into that to a deeper degree, and especially with Christian education, adding the subject of theology. And so you'll have, have Bible class, you'll have catechism, you'll have chapel, things like that, um, that will be added to the, the subjects in, in, um, in a Christian school, applied theology, for example, or church history would also be up there as well. Now, um, also in in the 
uh, the classical Christian sphere, there's going to be an emphasis on history, understanding specifically Western history, um, knowing how we got to where we are now, um, the things that, that took place in history, um, important names, important thinkers that had influenced um, society to, to move in certain directions, and then even rival ideologies and people who, who um, kind of rose up to the scene and uh, maybe had competing ideas that needed to be addressed. And so history is going to play a significant role in classical uh, education. And I think as you, if you were to examine um, a public school education, or even even in some, you know, of, of these modern Christian education settings, um, what you end up getting is history sort of pushed off and more of an emphasis on the social studies. And so history, of course, I mean, you can't have the social studies without um, understanding history to some degree, but there's almost a, a complete ejection. In fact, I remember having a conversation with a family uh, a couple years back and how they were noticing that um, they had like a third grader at the time. Their third grader had no history classes. It was just all about social studies. It's sort of, of uh, removing... Uh, that aspect of learning and sort of punting it further down the road, um, which, I mean, if you're, if you're working with the grammar, logic, and rhetoric framework, um, you, you remove an, an opportunity to, to inject a lot of facts and timelines um, in, in the education of, of that child. So um, that is one thing that, that I think, uh, especially um, history, um, Western literature, things of that nature that uh, do have a bigger emphasis in a classical Christian setting um, because one of the things, you know, like the book of Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Um, everything that we're facing today as far as what's threatening our society, what's going on in the world, um, even with, with the... the um, I don't know the the sexual revolution, the um, the gender and, and race, and all of these other ideologies that are are getting cranked out. Um, w- there are there are actually moments in history that we have to go back to and to look to uh, to see where we've come from and how um, bad ideas have been conquered by good ideas. And so that that is a, a feature of a classical Christian education that, that maybe differs from a, uh, a modern uh, Christian education. Um, and, and with that, I would say, and I think I touched a little bit about this um, on the last episode, but I think it, it's also worth mentioning again, is that um, with classical Christian education, there is an emphasis on, on a biblical worldview. Um, they are worldview schools, which means that they they don't view the subjects as sort of these segmented or or they don't think of, of subjects educational subjects as silos that are all detached from each other. Um, rather, in the classical education, everything's connected. Everything everything um, is shared, and and this is something that comes up um, in from my kids' history classes to um, spelling to literature. They they start of start weaving um, things in and out and say okay, this time period gave us this. And so in science, you know, hey, we're studying um, the history of, of Sir Isaac Newton and that, that, um, that season in the Western development where um, scientific discovery was, was taking big leaps and bounds. And so we're going to historically be talking about that, but then science, we're actually going to be talking about, the, um, the, about gravity. And so we're going to work through that. And then our spelling words are actually going to complement that. So as we're, we're talking about um, 
Isaac Newton, we're also talking about like how to spell gravity, you know? Um, and so there's a lot of uh, interweaving of the different subjects so that, that kids can see education as sort of this comprehensive thing. Now, the thing that really holds it all together is God. Um, in fact, if, if, if you go to Colossians 1, we're, we're told that Jesus is the one all things were created by, all things were created for. He's the one that's holding all things together. And so um, having this biblical framework to understand that everything makes sense in light of the Bible, um, in light of God's Word, so that, that that way Bible class isn't just one of the silos in the educational um, arsenal of, of subjects. Um, what it is, it, it sort of permeates everything. Therefore, um, the way that we talk about uh, classroom behavior and virtue and morality gets woven through all aspects uh, of learning. And, and so, um, yes, there is a Bible class. Yes, there is catechism. Yes, there is chapel, which are, are unique moments that are, are focused towards theology um, and doctrine. But, but that's not where it's limited to. It spills out into everything, even prayer. Um, prayer pr- plays a very prominent role in, and I, I'm not saying that it doesn't in, in other Christian schools, but it, it is something that is emphasized. It's one way um, that we help students understand that God is the Lord of science. God is the Lord of history. Jesus is the Lord of mathematics um, and breaking all the, those things down. And so the focus of a, of a classical Christian education is um, to, to provide a, a comprehensive biblical framework, a, a worldview that kids can understand and interpret the world through that I think is really strong in classical Christian education and maybe not as strong um, in other other uh, Christian education. And, and when I'm talking about this, I'm not just talking about classical Christian schools, but but as we'll hear from Melissa, there's, there's cl- a, a classical Christian approach to homeschooling as well, where a lot of these same things are, are in effect. Um, and so you, you run into Christian schools um, uh, that, that maybe have a Bible class, but not necessarily focused on a biblical worldview, whereas classical Christian education is focused on developing that framework, that biblical worldview for kids to, um, to possess and to operate by throughout their whole life. And then one of the last things that I want to talk about when considering um, Christian school um, options would be to to think there, there are essentially two kinds of Christian schools, and this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with um, the, the philosophy of education or the pedagogical approach to education, um, and this has to do with um, who is filling our schools, who, who are the, um, the kids that we, we want to be in our classrooms. And there are some Christian schools that are Christian schools. They've got their Bible. They've got their chapel. And and their enrollment is open to anybody and everyone. And so you've got families that maybe are nominal Christians or, or so even in some cases um, – you, you've got families that have no Christian uh, background per se. Maybe maybe they're um, maybe they are are Muslim, but they see that the Christian school has a higher standard of morality than a, a public school does, and so they see okay, this this obviously is a safer place. This is a a, a Christian school. There's there's some of they they've naturally sort of of weeded out some of the junk. And so there's less in this setting to be concerned about than there is maybe in a different setting. And so you have schools that take more of a missional approach, willing to, to accept anyone into enrollment. And, um, and, and there's some issues, uh, with that. Um, that I'll talk about here in a second. And then there's the other approach of schools, which take a, a more covenantal approach, meaning that, um, that they're accepting, 
um, students who come from Christian families, either one or both of the parents uh, uh, in their household are are faithful and and um, practicing Christians. Um, that there are families that go to church regularly and they they do family devotionals and study the Bible together. So that that way, what's going on at home um, is complemented by what's going on school and in school and vice versa. And so it takes a more of a covenantal approach, understanding that these kids come from Christian families. Now, with the one of the challenges, so there, there's the, the upside of the the, um, the missional school model is like, hey, we want to to have the opportunity. Uh, we we view this as a mission field um, to to bring people in, and we're we're not going to apologize about our beliefs and, and our doctrine and and the things that we do. Like people have to, um, you know, when they come to school here, they know that that's what we're going to do. And but we want the opportunity to share the gospel with them, teach them God's word, and hoping that that maybe God will change this kid, uh, their heart, and and then change the trajectory of of their family. And so that instead of coming from a, a family that was non-Christian, they they become Christians and and then raise their kids in a Christianly way as well. And, and so that that is one upside of thinking like that. But the downside to that is um, you bring in a lot of, of differences of opinions um, into a school like that. You're, you're still going to have um, a lot of the things that, that maybe are way more prevalent in a public school setting. Um, but there'll be at least some of that that carries over as you bring kids in from families that are not Christian, that are not um, uh, subscribing to a Christian morality, that now um, you've introduced uh, a bit of a chaos into the educational system. Um, chaos meaning it's not like these kids are a bunch of rowdy heathens, um, but they just don't operate by the same standard. And so it becomes challenging in some aspects. Whereas a covenantal school, though, it doesn't take the missional approach and, and realizing that in a covenantal school, not all of the students are Christians. Not all of the kids there have regenerate hearts. There are going to be kids um, who who are there in school. They receive a K through 12 Christian education and, and they may eventually uh, go apostate and walk away from the faith totally. But at least they have the support of, of mom and dad that are, are attempting to to raise their kids in a Christian way, uh, a biblically informed way. Um, and that complements and that supports the, what's going on in the school. And so those, those are two things to consider, uh, when looking at options for Christian education. Um, and usually in the, in the covenantal schools there, it's easier for them to be more doctrinally sound. Um, that, that, um, and that kind of works itself out in a couple ways where maybe um, it's a, a denominationally affiliated school um, where, okay, this is a, a, a Baptist school or this is a, a Presbyterian school. Um, and then you also have like Morningstar is more of an ecumenical school where there's a lot of different de- denominations represented, but the the baseline of, of theology it very much operates within the Westminster Shorter Catechism. In fact, that's that's what uh, we, we use at Morningstar for our catechism is is a the only exception is that we we have removed the baptismal stuff because they, we have some people who practice credo baptism, some people who practice pedo baptism, and so just to to be more ecumenical, um, we have um, just eliminated that from the catechesis of the students. But the the covenantal aspect, meaning that um, the families themselves come are, are Christian families, uh, give a a strength and a breadth to the Christian culture of the school that doesn't get diluted by by non Christian families. 
And so th- there are a lot of different things to consider when looking at the Christian school alternatives to a public education um, and uh, options that are out there on the table, things that you ought to consider um, as you're making your way through them. And and one of the things um, that people oft- you often hear when, in the classical Christian setting is that um, one of the things that parents appreciate is is the ability, because they, of the use of the grammar, logic, and rhetoric stages of learning, um, what's happening is kids are not being taught what to think. Rather, they're being taught how to think. Um, they're given the tools. They're given a framework for how to process information and to uh, kind of develop their own um their own beliefs, their own thoughts on certain subjects, and then to be able to argue for those in a a persuasive way. Um, and so the ability to think is really emphasized in in classical um, Christian education. Now that doesn't mean again I, I, I'm not I'm I'm trying to draw these distinctions. I'm not trying to poo poo on anybody here because I do know that there are a lot of really great godly families that are in more of the the um, the modern. Christian school setting. And again, I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for them because I think that even then getting your kids out of a secular institution into a, a a Christian institution is a, a huge, huge advantage. Um, and then maybe taking it a step further and thinking, okay, now what is the aim of, of education? And again, getting under, getting underneath of, of that idea is, is more than just teaching kids information, but teaching kids what to love. And, and that's where classical education with the, the conversation about virtue and character um, and, and spiritual development really comes into play. Again, not, be, not that it hap- doesn't happen elsewhere, not that it, it can't happen in other schools that aren't classical Christian schools, but it certainly is uh, something that is emphasized higher in, uh, or more so in the classical Christian sphere. Um, there, there's a lot of information out there on the internet, and in fact, the, the classical Christian movement has sort of gone through... Um, it's gotten reinvigorated. So for a while in the West, it was lost. And that's why you have um, uh, Dorothy Sayers' article, The Lost Tools of Learning, because we had moved away from that in the West, um, this this style of education. Um, and and so there's a lot of articles. You could go to the, the Association of Classical Christian uh, Education, um, or classical Christian schools, rather, and and look at their website and see their stuff on YouTube videos that kind of break down even further the differences between a classical Christian education and uh, just your your run of the mill Christian education. And and I think when when we think about what we want to do uh, at Sacred City to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city, um, the classical Christian education is very much aligned with that. I think it has a high regard for uh, historic Orthodox Christianity. It's it's not um, busy trying to keep up with the fads. In fact, Christian education, uh, the classical Christian education, is is running back to the to what works. In fact, um, almost every single one of our founding fathers were were educated in a a classical setting um, that was heavily influenced by Christianity. So whether or not it's actually a classical Christian school, the 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 um, philosophy of education that they were a product of um, was very much a classical Christian education. And I think that now. Um, uh, having like one of the, the greatest pro- products of of Western thought and Western education, having the United States um, is a great achievement of of men and women who thought through things and understood their place in history and understood what things were moving toward um, and how to lean into education in a way that that contributes to the flourishing and uh, of the people. And and I think that's what we're after. Um, and we talk about making disciples and renewing our city. I think that's that's a big piece. Uh, 
of understanding our place in time, understanding what's happened before us, and being able to take steps forward to advance um, and to develop further the things that we have inherited. Um, and so anyway, I, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, there's certainly a lot more to say. And again, I care a lot about classical Christian education. Um, I think that there, there's just, it's just such a, a treasury of, of great information that's worth exploring. And so if that's something that you're interested in talking about, um, be sure to reach out and let's, let's grab coffee, let's grab lunch. Um, let's talk through this. And, and then even, uh, to anybody else who's still kind of, you know, working through these ideas of, of, uh, Christian education, again, happy to talk with you. You can reach me at sam at sacredstatechurch.com and, and we can talk through these things uh, and maybe do it more on a, a personalized level considering um, what what you have going on in life and what your station in life is at the moment um, and how we can take steps forward. Because again, um, I'm not I'm not sitting back here putting people on blast for, for no reason or just trying to stir the pot. Um, I'm, I'm trying to shepherd and pastor people in the way that I I'm convinced is is most profitable uh, for what God is calling His people to be and to do in the world, um, and so I, I want to help you with that. We want to provide support. We want to, as we have more uh, opportunities and resources available, um, get you connected to the right people and and help you uh, make your way through this discussion um, and thinking through the subject uh, in depth. So. Uh, that invitation will stand forever. <laughs> if you want to talk about this stuff, uh, I'm your guy. Uh, in fact, any of our elders would be your guy if you want to talk through that. So um, I, I'm going to wrap it up and, and here the next episode uh, or two will be featuring uh, our own Melissa Corns talking about Christian homeschooling that I think you're going to find a lot of, of great value in that as well. So uh, again, hit me with your questions. I uh, can't wait to see you guys on Sunday as we gather to worship and be reminded of God's grace to us and our and the generations that come after us. Love you guys. Praying for you. I will see you Sunday. <laughs>